Hi, and welcome to the Seacoast Vineyard Church Podcast. We want to thank you for joining us online and remind you to feel free to visit our website at seacoastvineyard.com anytime for up-to-date information on our local church here in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. If you would like to give financially to this ministry, whether that's a one-time gift or a recurring monthly gift, simply click on the Give tab at our website and give however God leads you. Now, we want you to enjoy this message from God's Word. Well, good morning again. If you have attended this church for any amount of time, you know our senior pastor, Tim Holt, is A, a really old guy with a lot of experience, (laughs) but he's also incredibly generous with his time and his knowledge. And so he has gathered a few of us um, that he calls his pit crew, his preachers, his pastors in training, and he's been pouring into us for close to two years now. And one of those people is Doug Crew, and he's going to speak this morning, but I just wanted to introduce Doug. Doug, uh, his wife Sarah and his mother-in-law Tricia lead something called Shiloh Place Ministries that is a huge, wonderful um, ministry that deals with inner healing and uh, great things going on there. He's a father of three beautiful children, two girls, Evie and Emma, and uh, a firecracker of a little boy, Jack. And uh, we have the pleasure of hearing Doug this morning. So, Doug, why don't you come on up? All right. How are y'all doing this morning? People talk about 8.30 service, and they're like, oh, people come in still asleep, and they're dragging in. But I, I, honestly, that's my, it's my favorite service, because I think when people are up and they're ready to go, and they can be here at 8.30 in the morning, those people are awake, and they have a purpose. And so I, I, I'm all good with, with 8.30 service. Let me slide this just a little bit over. There you go. So as Brian said, my name is Doug, and I work with Shiloh Place Ministries which was started by my in-laws, Jack and Tricia Frost, almost 25 years ago now. And uh, the, the, Tim and Karen Holt go way back with the Frost family, uh, back before Seacoast, back before Shiloh Place Ministries. Uh, in fact, um, Tim and Karen knew my wife, Sarah, way back in the day, way back, way back in her womb days, as a matter of fact. That's how long it's been. And I've personally, I've known Tim... Since probably the early 90s, mid-90s, we met um, surfing. Imagine that. Uh, it was a Christian surfers organization, and um, we were part of it, and I got to meet Tim. And actually, uh, for a couple of years, I lived with Aaron, his son Aaron. I don't know if any of you know who Aaron is or not. But uh, what we do at Shiloh Place Ministries is we focus on getting our image of God right. We focus on realizing God as a good father, and we focus on breaking free from past issues so that we can move forward in our spiritual walk. And so something we're going to talk about today involves both of those items, and today we're going to talk about a very key component in our spiritual walk, and that's faith. In Hebrews 11.6, it says that without faith, it is impossible to please him. Now, as we were just singing in that song, God is full of grace. And in fact, he requires very little from us. He has done all the hard part for us, as a matter of fact. As we just celebrated when we celebrated communion, he did the work. He went to the cross for us. 
He broke the curse and the power of sin and death so that we could come and be led in the way to a good father, to his father that he talks about an awful lot through the New Testament. And so some of us, though, came up in this environment. Uh, we all actually came up in an environment if we're in church that dealt with faith. But uh, some of us might have come up in an environment where faith was always a positive uh, a positive affirmation or believing for something good, this positive declaration. And indeed, that is, it is a part of faith. It is a part of faith. But, but that, that faith has been called uh, a couple of different names. It's been known. I don't know if it's affectionately or derisively. I am not sure what. But some of that has been called the name it and claim it, the blab it and grab it. But that's not what we're going to talk about this morning. This morning we're talking about, we're getting to the down and dirty. This is the down and dirty of discipleship. Faith is a key element of what that is. These are the nuts and bolts. This is not, this is not, I need a new Cadillac message. This is, I'm walking every day with Jesus message, and it requires my faith. How can I stay in that faith? So let's, we'll read the passage really quick, and then we'll pray, and we'll jump right into it. Our passage today comes from Luke 18, and it's verse 1 through 8. And here it goes. And he told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. He said, in a certain city, there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. And there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, give me justice against my adversary. For a while he refused. But afterward he said to himself, though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because the widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. In some, uh, in some translations, it says that, so that she will not continue to embarrass me. And the Lord said, hear what the unrighteous judge says. And will not God give justice to his elect or chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes... Will he find faith on earth? Father, we thank you for your word today. I pray that uh, you give me the gift of teaching and help me to illuminate this for people. And I also pray that we, we would open our hearts and be willing to receive the revelation that you have for us as individuals from this message and from what we hear today. We thank you, Father. Amen. All right, to begin, kind of like, kind of like we usually do, let's take a, let's take a quick glimpse at, into the setting in which Jesus spoke the words, in the setting into which Luke wrote the words. They're both, they're both important. In Luke uh, chapter uh, 17, we see Jesus speaking to his followers, uh, mainly his disciples, on the way to Jerusalem. And his follow- he talks to them about forgiveness. He says, if, 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 if your friend does something to you seven times and comes back and asks, for forgiveness seven times in a day, you should forgive them. And their response to him is, Lord, help our faith. They realize the difficulty of forgiveness when Jesus says, well, all right then, let's talk about faith. And Jesus says, if you had faith like a grain of a mustard seed, you could say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted into the sea, and it would obey you. From that point on through chapter 18, there's several discussions and events that revolve around faith. At the end of chapter 17, just prior to speaking this parable about continuing in prayer and finding faith when he returns, 
he prophesies troubling events to come. So that's where this parable rolls out of, Jesus prophesying troubling and difficult times to come. And then he issues the challenge of finding faith. Now, Jesus speaks the parable to these disciples in a time when they're under Roman occupation, and they certainly understand the injustice of the unjust judge, and they understand what it's like to be as the widow and have no power in a society. And Luke writes the book in the early 60s AD. Well, by this time, we're looking at a second generation of of Christ followers, and the Roman occupation continues, and persecution is actually ramped up against Christians in the world, and they're suffering more greatly. So we're looking at a group of people who didn't get the chance to see Jesus in person, hear him in person. They're learning this secondhand. And so Luke is trying to encourage and inspire people to move forward in their faith. That's the way he frames these two chapters. And in their society, immediately they would have understood the unjust judge. They would know what it's like to be under the thumb of some leader, some judge, who, um, who probably only takes bribes and decides cases in, in favor of the higher bidder rather than injustice. They would have completely understood that. And they would have also understood the feeling of what it was like to be a widow. See, a widow in this society, number one, is a woman which is a low, lowly in the society. And number two, she's already been married. And number three, she's got no man to protect her. We are talking about the weakest of the weak. Your position of power is zero in this society. Yet, she is allowed to come into the judge. And the judge can't get rid of her. He can't off with her head. So she keeps coming and keeps coming and keeps coming until this powerful judge is just worn down and embarrassed because he cannot control this one little widow. So let's give her what she wants. And this, <laughs> telling this in, this in their society about this, this great contrast of the powerful and the powerless in this strange manner of embarrassment by a widow, think Monty Python. It would be much like a Monty Python skit to them as Jesus told this parable. It'd be kind of like watching Life of Brian, maybe Holy Grail, where there's these crazy characters, these weird characters opposing each other. And so that's what we get in the parable. And for Luke, this is obviously a very important parable because most of the time with the parable, as most of us know, you have to read it, pray through it, figure out what is What is going on in the parable? What is the message of the parable? There's sermons all the time on parables to help explain parables. But Luke, right off the bat, verse 1, doesn't want the the reader to have to decipher anything. And so he he, he brings it straight up. He told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. This is what your parable is about. And then I'm going to tell you what Jesus said. And that's our first fill-in. Prayer. Prayer is our first feeling. We don't, are these really, they're not very tweetable today, are they? They're like, it's about prayer. <laughs> I don't know how much response you'll, you'll get. If you, I don't know, you might get a lot if you just tweet it's about prayer. There's a lot of people out there who, who would uh, be into that. But so prayer, as far as a component of faith, these are like, these work synergistically. They're like, have this reciprocal relationship. You know, which, which came first, the prayer or the faith, the chicken or the egg kind of effect? Because you have, you have to have some kind of faith to issue some kind of prayer. 
But if you issue some kind of prayer, you generally are built up in faith in some way. You think about it, it's the same way when we commit our life to Jesus. You have to have that amount of faith to decide to pray, but then you have to pray, and then, you get, and then your faith is encouraged because all of a sudden you're this new person. So that's the kind of relationship that they have. But the thing is, it's not always easy. It doesn't always work so well. Uh, and there are several places in Scripture that encourage us to always pray, and probably for this reason. One of these Scriptures that encourage us to always pray is uh, found in Philippians 4.7. We don't have this on the screen. I'm going to read it to you, though. Uh, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. And so there's a little bit of a hurdle in here, and uh, Pastor Bill Johnson puts it like this. He, He says, in order... To have peace that passes understanding, sometimes we have to be willing to let go of our right to understand. And this is why he says this. He says this because many times that right will keep us from getting to peace because it becomes this shield. It becomes this challenge issued to God. I, need, I have to understand. I have to understand. And there's no conversation there because my right to understand is the largest thing happening right now but when we can let go of our right to understand and we begin to let god in we begin let him begin to form our hearts and talk to our hearts then we begin to get somewhere and then peace becomes a part of us and we we experience this in a huge way my, my wife and i her family uh, you see, uh, Jack has been gone for nine years. And Jack was diagnosed with cancer when Sarah was about 25. We've been married for three years. A very aggressive form of cancer called adenocarcinoma, the chest cavity. Jack was at the height of his career and moving up. He'd written a couple of books that were selling. He was all over the world. He knew people all over the world. He was traveling. Everybody, everybody wanted to get Jack. He was turning people away because he just couldn't keep that schedule. It was impossible to keep. And, and for us, we had our future planned out. I'd kind of grown up without my, my dad. I'd, you know, my parents divorced at a very young age, and, and I hardly saw him. And from the moment I had been saved at about 23 years old, this had been about 10 years, I, I I knew that I was called. Somehow I knew that I was called. And people would say it to me. I really feel like you're called to the ministry. And so here it was. Here's this moment. Sarah and I, we are going to begin to travel with Jack. He's going to mentor us. We're going to go around the world. And then when it's time, we're going to be released into the ministry. We had it all planned out. And then it all came crashing down. And Jack died. Thousands of people around the world praying for this man in faith. They would get phone calls from people around the world, prominent people saying, you know what? I was praying the other night and the Lord told me, I really feel like the Lord told me that Jack's gonna live. He's gonna beat this thing. And after he beats this thing, he's gonna do this and this and this. This wasn't one phone call, multiple phone calls. And then Jack dies. That doesn't happen. We don't get to see that miracle. And this is really hard for Sarah. As you can imagine, understandably so, at about 25 years 
of age, she loses her 53-year-old father. And it was hard for me as well. And we struggled. But what happened was is Sarah began to get angry. She could not understand. She could not understand. And she was angry with God. At the same time, she got pregnant, which made it even harder. So she's going through pregnancy. We have a child. There's some postpartum issues. There's grief. There's all of this going on. After many months of struggling and fighting with this, she began to heed the words of Bill Johnson. And she said, okay, okay, I'm, I'm going to trust enough to give up my right. I'm going to give up my right to understand. And I'm just going to trust. I'm still angry as hell, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to trust. And when she began to do that, she began to get some answers. God began to speak to her heart. I began to get some relief. And we began to see a measure of peace. We weren't there. We weren't completely bounced back. But this was a huge turning point, a huge turning point for us, for our marriage, for our spiritual lives. It was, it was an amazing time. So prayer, prayer is key to having faith and walking a life of faith as a disciple of Christ. Another key element is persistence. In verse 3, you see that there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, give me justice against my adversary. And this is our second fill-in, persistence. But realize, don't forget, that this is, this is not, this, what's going on in the parable is this huge contrast with this unjust judge. Our God is not unjust, but there's still an element of persistence that we need to hold on to when it comes to walking in our faith and our spiritual lives. So what does persistence mean exactly? Merriam-Webster gives a definition for it. The second definition it gives, continuing to exist or endure over a prolonged period. Just exist over a long period. Not be super powerful, but just to exist. Because what happens is many of us have been through issues in life, and we can barely pray. We are falling down. Our prayer is reduced to help, help, help. We cry out to God, help, help, help. But you know what? If you're continuing crying out to God, help, 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 you persist in your faith when you continue to cry help. And this is where I was not long ago, actually in another, another situation, and I pondered what Jesus had said about the mustard seed in Luke 17, 7. And I was struggling, and I felt my faith had shriveled to that size. And I would, probably, I would, I would illustrate the mustard seed for you, for those of you who have never seen a mustard seed, but I would be doing, you can't see a mustard seed from where you are. If I have it in my hand, I might as well just do this. So there you go. <laughs> That's what it would look like. And that's where I, I got to. You see, no husband likes to see their wife struggle in a way where they can't help them, where they can't do anything about it. Many times what happens is we disengage because we can't deal. And this is where I was about two years ago. We'd moved into a new house. <clears throat> Sarah had just come out of her shell, and we'd had seen this new life, and we'd been living a few months with all of this, this uh, hope. And then we move into a new house. And then in a couple weeks later, we find out that she's pregnant, and it's amazing. And then immediately after that, she begins to get sick. I'm not talking about morning sickness. I'm talking about sick, sick, all day long sick. 
And so I first I began to pray for Sarah. And I said, okay, I'm the one that needs to hold up the faith in this end, and I'm going to pray for her, and she's going to begin to have faith, and she's going to get healed. And this is going to go away, and we're going to have a great pregnancy, and we're going to get back to where we were a few weeks ago, a month ago. Well, after a few weeks of this, she got so sick that she was emergency room sick, (laughs) and we went to the ER. Then after several more hospital visits, I thought about what Jesus said in the mustard seed again, and I was like, I'm holding on. I'm holding on to my mustard seed. Well, then we got a few more bad reports, and we had a couple of hospital stays, and before you know it, I felt like somebody had come by with a hammer and smashed my little mustard seed. My little mustard seed was now little grains of mustard seed, and all I could do was hope that grains of mustard seed meant something as well. I was hoping because I had nothing. I was, I was done. My prayers felt hollow. I prayed for Sarah, but because she was just in help, she was in desperate need of help. So I prayed for her, but I did not because I expected anything at all to change. I was completely done. You see, she's, she helped in the office. And so I was... I was, dealing, I was helping my sick wife, I was working with the kids, and I was working for two people because she used to work in the office and she wasn't there. I was stressed, and I wasn't hearing from God, and we weren't seeing results from God. I was done. I couldn't even, I got to the point where I was at help. And I wasn't crying help. There was no exclamation point. I was muttering help, probably 50 times a day. I was, oh, God, help. God, help, help Sarah. God, just... I just help. Just help. That's all I could do. That's all I had. I felt like Fred the Baker. Does anybody remember Fred the Baker from the Dunkin' Donuts commercials in the 80s? Come on, how old are we? What was it? Time to make the donuts. I made the donuts. Time to make the donuts. That's why, that's how, this is how I walked around for months. For months. Help. Help. I got nothing. Help. I felt like the widow. Completely helpless. I felt like the widow in my situation. But guess what? I got good news. Charles Spurgeon, who is a a prominent preacher and theologian, says this about a muttering prayer. You got that for me? So we can see. There you go. True prayer is measured by weight and not by length. A single groan before God may have more fullness of prayer than a fine oration of great length. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. You see, we see scriptures about Jesus praying all night and, and sweat, you know, uh, as drops of blood falling, and we think that our prayers need to be like that and they need to match that, but they don't. If all you can pray and mutter is help 50 times a day, then you are praying always, as it says for us to do. But what happens? Oh, and just by the way, we had, the, we had baby Jack. And he's now 17 months old. Many of you actually probably prayed for that. And you've seen him running around here, as Brian said, and he is a firecracker. So that part came out well. But so what do we do um, with after? We've persisted, right? And now we've persisted. And so what do we do with that? What happens after you persist? I got good news for you. Patience. That's what happens after you persist. And that's our third fill-ins, Patience. In verse 7, it says, And will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? 
Will he keep putting them off? Verse 8, I tell you he will see that they get justice and get it quickly. (laughs) Well, let's just tackle the elephant in the room right there. Verse 8 says some craziness about people getting justice quickly. And really all I've got for you is this. About eight months after Jack was born, Sarah was really sick with what we thought was a stomach flu. Violently ill with the stomach flu. And finally we went to the ER, found out she was dehydrated and had been near death. We didn't know this. What they discovered is that through, they did some scans, they discovered that her bile duct opening was too small. She'd had her gallbladder removed during the pregnancy and all the chaos. And now her bile duct opening was too small and debris was getting stuck in there and it was causing, wreaking havoc in her pancreas. And she had pancreatitis. She was very ill. But it was an easy fix. They went in, they put a stent. And everything, and, and that healed, and, and she was good. And we were all set to go. And we were just getting to the point where we can believe, okay, that was good. God kind of answered a prayer there. It wasn't, it wasn't terrible. So, you know, maybe we can start believing again. But we were a little gun shy. We weren't quite sure. And sure enough, a couple weeks later, all these medical bills start rolling in. We'd gotten a new insurance at the beginning of the year, and in the frying print, did not realize when we selected that insurance specifically because of the hospital that the hospital was covered, but none of the doctors were, even if you went in through the emergency room and had no choice. One more tragedy. One more chance to give up on God and just let our faith fall. Well, we muttered through that. And we finally got to a place again where we could begin to pray. And we decided it was just time to believe for these bills to be paid. And this was going to be our miracle. And we began to pray. And then we began to pray for other people and their needs. And we began to pray again. Oh, Lord, show us things in our heart. We began to pray. And then one more bill came in. We thought it was over. And then all of a sudden we get this one last bill. And so we're like, this is our miracle. This is it. Because they needed a certain amount of money in a certain amount of time. And we said, God will answer this. God's going to take care of this. This is going to be our miracle moment, our testimony. We're going to believe God for this payment. And we prayed and we believed. And the date came and the date went. No money. Nothing. But something did happen. Because what we realized is we had laid down our right to know. We had, we had been issuing these prayers to God as a challenge Like throwing a gauntlet down in the sand of God and saying, I dare you to answer this prayer. But when our prayers turned and we let him in, we began to have peace. We realized he was doing things in our hearts and in our family and all of these things were going on. And bills will be bills and they'll be there. In Luke 11, Jesus, uh, 11, 11 through 13, Jesus says, What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will give him a serpent, or for an egg, a scorpion? If you then are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the heavenly Father give you the Holy Spirit when you ask him? He will give you good gifts. He might not change. You might not see the situation change. You might not see the people in that situation change, but your heart will change, and he desires what is best for you. It's in this place that we begin to have peace that passes all understanding. We grow beyond praying for his hand to move. 
and praying for our faith that lasts. In this place, we, we weather the storms, whether it's cancer, whether it's the baby that never sleeps, or whether it's the most difficult time at school that you've ever experienced, the semester from hell that you never thought was possible. You thought college was easy, and then all of a sudden. doesn't matter what your situation or your frustration. In this place, your faith will become stronger. And in these hearts, Jesus will find faith when he returns. We move through our situations in life. Our faith grows stronger. He will find faith in the Seacoast Vineyard family when he returns. We hope you enjoyed this week's podcast from Seacoast Vineyard Church in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. We look forward to you joining us next time on iTunes or at our website, www.seacoastvineyard.com.